Hello and welcome to Two Old Guys on the Back Porch. I am Steve Scotch, and we have the lovely and talented cat. That C A T striking a pose. Cat, what's happening? Hey, how y'all doing? We can be found on Facebook, Instagram. We also can be found on Spotify, uh, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all your premier podcast platforms. We have uh, two exotic shout outs today because we, you know, we're worldwide. You know, like who's. Uh, Pitbull. Pitbull's worldwide. Pitbull is a lot of things. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's see. Our first city is Mumbai, India. Uh, the city officially changed its name uh, back in 1995. They felt like Bombay was a colonial, British colonial type name. Instead, they paid tribute to the goddess Mumbai Diva and they changed the city to Mumbai. Our other city of exotic quests is the Willandro Lakes region, which is an UNESCO World Heritage Center for there in Australia. It's the Willandro Lakes region is traditionally a meeting place of three different Aboriginal tribes. Giving y'all a big round of applause. All right, we got listeners all over the world. Alcohol is always here on the back porch. You know, I never liked the term alcoholic. I prefer advanced drinker. And today I'm doing the Grey Goose Martini with an abundance of olives. Cat, what you got? I am trying a new drink for me. It's called Beach Please uh, Cocktail Martini. It's uh, very reminiscent of the uh, Melting Pot's Love Potion. It's made with, uh, let's see, Malibu rum, uh, peach schnapps, and some cranberry pineapple fruit juice. Ooh, sounds sweet like you, babe. All right. Today, we're going to have another podcast, another topic about something nobody thinks about or really cares about other than us. All right. What is it? Are you it? sure we're the only ones ever to wait, do a wait podcast for it. on this? Wait for it. It's the shopping cart. Whoa! That's right. I said shopping cart. cart. We're gonna we're gonna dazzle and amaze talking about I shopping cart. I can't wait cart. to be dazzled and amazed. Okay. You know, right now you're saying, "Is this dude really going to talk about shopping carts?" The answer is yes, because that's what sets us apart from all the other boring ass podcasts. Is we'll put like the most mundane thing to talk about and make it fun and interesting. So here we go. All right, can we hit the history with Steve button? We have sound effects. Sort of. Okay. <laughs> history. The shopping cart was born in 1937 by a man named Sylvan Goldman, who owned a supermarket chain in Oklahoma called Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty. Not very original with the name, but Mr. Goldman... Very you, smart. What did, you, what did you want? Piggly Wiggly? I don't know. Humpty Dumpty, we'll let it go. But, you see, his customers are coming in the store. This is like, what did I say, 30s, right? 1930s. Right. And they're buying stuff, but they're, like, fumbling. They're trying to hold the bread and the milk and all that. So he's like, let's, let's put something on four wheels, make a cart, and they could put stuff in there. But the reason he was really smart was 
he wanted them to buy more stuff. Right. Um, you know, we shopping carts around here, not just here. There, if you look around, and nobody's looking for a shopping cart on the side of the road, but they're littered all over the land. You know, um, people think they're there for the taking, right? Well, the homeless do. I mean, we don't live in the city of Richmond. We're on the outskirts of Richmond, Virginia. Thank God we're not in the city. But I, I did work down there, which I've mentioned several times for years. And I saw people, like, come right out of the store with the, with the grocery cart. And not take it over to the vehicle and unload it. Nope. I saw people come out of the store with the grocery cart and just roll that baby right down the road. Well, I mean, <laughs> if you into live the house. in, like, New York City, you kind of have to have your own little collapsible cart to go bring some of the food yeah, home. Yeah, but they're not yanking one from the That's grocery true. store and rolling that baby out like they own it. And then just park that thing right in the front yard till next week. <laughs> I mean, I saw a report. I did some research, people. You're welcome. That over two million shopping carts, two million, are yanked every year from stores across the land. Now, one shopping cart cost about two hundred and fifty dollars. So that's a good chunk of change that these stores are losing each year. Yeah, but how much pro- produce and so forth is going in that cart every year? Oh, I that know. You buy yeah, yeah, yeah. But. It's not there, a complete lot. It's not a complete well, loss. Well, there's there. one grocery store we have out here called Wegmans. They're from Buffalo, New York. You might have one where you're at. They, we're not a fan of Wegmans. They have a, a great beer and wine selection, and that's about all we can do in there. But their shopping carts at Wegmans are rigged with these sensors that had this brake system that locks up the wheels once that shopping cart has been pushed out of the parking lot. You're kidding me. Genius. I want to try it. Let's go over there tomorrow and take it out of the parameters <laughs> of the parking lot. I want to see the wheels lock. Yeah. Take it over to Cabela's and see if it's still there. And we have these uh, low-rent stores out here called Walmart. And probably you know what Walmart is. They... They're known for selling, you know, cheap stuff made in sweatshops in Indonesia. But they they seem – Walmart does not care about their shopping carts. No. Uh-uh, because no. most of the time when you see them abandoned all around town, it's got like a little Walmart logo on it. They just – they don't care. Well, they don't really even care about the parking lots. They're usually pretty dodgy, full of oil and – I mean, most places – Not re- repaved send out the little 18-year-old to go peruse around the parking lot and bring all the carts back in. Right. Walmart, they could care less. I think I mentioned this on a podcast we did last year. There's a Walmart up in the city of Richmond that has a bus stop right beside it. And every time you ride by there, there's like 19 shopping carts just piled up, flipped over, just laying all around, all around the bus stop. Nobody gives a rip. You know... If, if there is a bus stop anywhere near a Walmart, you can count on shopping carts being littered all over the freaking place. The one, the, these, the shopping cart 
for some reason, it seems to be a challenge for people once they come out of the grocery store, put their groceries away, they don't want to walk, what is it, 50 feet to the little cart area. And you've seen these losers. They, they're usually dressed in sweatpants, got like $300 tennis shoes on, like they just came from the workout, and they're going to park as close as they can to the store. They come out, take the groceries out, and then they look around to see if anybody's looking. No, leave the cart right there. I don't know how worthless you can be. I mean, it's pathetic. Now, th- now, there's a class of people who I don't mind stealing shopping carts. A- and, of course, that's the homeless people. They need some way to keep all their possessions in one place. You know, they got sleeping bags, blankets, whatever they have. And, and they can roll down the sidewalk with it. And I believe most stores let the homeless take a shopping cart if they need it. I don't think there's anybody being jerks about this. Now, here in Virginia, it is a class one misdemeanor that comes with a year in jail if you steal a shopping cart. Hmm. Didn't know and that. here's something is interesting or maybe bizarre. There's a lady named Julian Montague. I hope Monta- I Montague. Montague. Right. Gue? Yeah, Montague. All right, we'll go with that. I'll just call her Julian. It's from Camelot. She she wrote a book about stray shopping carts. I'm not kidding. It's called The Stray Shopping Carts of Eastern North America. I'm not lying. And I, I think she approached it from like an artsy side. You yeah, know. it's like a coffee table book. Okay. She, she came up with some kind of classification system for stray shopping carts. And, you know, I, I wanted to buy the book and read it because I like to read. And read it before we did the podcast because you know how much work I put into this so before we come research. on here. But they wanted like 100 bucks, right, on Amazon for it's Julian's. It's a coffee table book. I'm it's like, a collector's what item. Oh, it is? Yes. Wow. Didn't know. Anyway. See, I'm not the only one. Julian wrote a book about shopping carts, so we have something in common. We're enthralled with these things that are littered all over the land. You know, look, most of us go to the grocery store, what, once, twice a week, get a cart, usually, you know, the one with the bad wheel, roll around the store, get our stuff hit for the car, unload it, put it back in the cart area, like normal people. But there are some areas throughout the United States that actually have shopping carts you know, strode from one end of town to the other, and nobody gives a rip. But to coattail off of that is we have out here in some places, I'm going to call them parking lot predators. And so does anybody hear a cat out here? I don't know how she got out of where she was and why she's over here. The cat is on the back porch letting it rip. In some of these store parking lots around here, you may be approached by someone asking for money. The weird thing is you, you don't see these people at first, but then while you're taking your stuff out the shopping cart, putting it in the car, they just kind of pop up out of nowhere and ask you for money. It's kind of creepy. I guess you can't blame the store, but 
if it's happening daily, then they should call the cops or something and try to run these people off. I, it, it's happened to my mom, who's in her 70s, quite a few times, and that's why it's a little sketch for me. I don't like it. And the other problem we have around here are just stone-cold thieves. Or I mean, the gypsies that try and say they're going to fix your car and clean it up for you, your paint job. <laughs> Stay away from those guys. Right. Uh, the thing is, some of these these predators, they usually go after the elderly. You right. know, they're an easy pick. They'll pick out a victim, try to engage them in a conversation. Uh, you know, it's it's usually, it, it actually happened. I don't know if I mentioned it on it. It happened to my mom's neighbor. You know, you're in the store, they start talking to you, and there are accomplices over there going through the lady's purse, right. taking phones, taking her wallet, and all that. I mean, it's just, it's freaking ridiculous. The, the, the people that ripped off my, my mom's friend, they, they took her phone, took her, her wallet, if that's what ladies call it, and they went, like, right across the street and rung up like $9,000 in like no time. They went to this big box store called BJ's, uh, went and bought a bunch of stuff. Uh, just they, they nailed a couple stores right there before she could call the banks and get everything Well, stopped. BJ's, you have to have a membership to get in there to start with, right? So I don't, I don't know. Yes, you do. Okay. <clears throat> um, it, it, where... Where we're at now, this is, this is going on. You know, distracting the elderly, taking her money. You know, some elderly people, it's a challenge for them just to get up, right, and go to the store and, and do their thing. And, and now we got these scumbags out here trying to rip them off. Hopefully they'll catch them. There's a whole thing. Someone wrote a book about how women... You're taught in your life to try and be a nice person and do this and, and trust. Do that. But sometimes it's it's okay to be a bitch. I mean, it is. I mean, because I've had people approach me and either I know they're up to something and I totally ignore them. Like, so anyway, I can tell these people are after me and I just, I'm trying to pretend that I don't really hear them and just try and get away because I know they're sketchy and I know they're up to no good. There are evil people about the world. All right, look, shopping carts. You know, look, most of us, we go to the grocery store once or twice a week. You grab the cart. You usually get the one with the bad wheel, roll around the store, get your stuff, head to your car, unload it, and put the cart over the return area like normal people. But there are some areas throughout the United States that actually have shopping carts strode from one end to the other, and nobody gives a rip. So next time you go to the grocery store and grab a shopping cart, think of two old guys on the back porch. You're welcome. All right, let's roll right into one tough son of a bitch. Oh, this is a good one. It's a pretty long drum roll there. With baseball season right around the corner. Roberto Clemente, <laughs> born in 1934. From Carolina, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. 18 seasons he played with the Pirates. Shit, nobody plays 18 seasons of professional anything anymore. 
That's the truth. Uh, All Star, fifteen seasons, twelve Gold Gloves, two World Series. His his professional career started out in a winter league in Puerto Rico, and uh, you signed that. Would, by, uh, that would be the best baseball is in the winter league. Yeah, get where it's Puerto warm. Rico. Started out with the Montreal Royals, which was the top farm team of the Brooklyn Dodgers. Now we are going back. In 1954, Pittsburgh Pirates chose Roberto as a first-round draft pick. Good choice by the Pirates. Once in the majors, he discovered the realities of what? Racism. Yikes. When the Pirates, you know, when he played in the South, he he got treated very badly. He'd have to sit on the bus while the white dudes got to go in the restaurants. But he didn't let nothing hold him back. He kept on rocking. He Always. finished his career with exactly 3,000 hits, right? That's pretty amazing. I hate when people say amazing. Amazing. Always involved in charity work in the Latin America countries, Caribbean countries. Never forgot where he came from. Don't forget your roots. Died now. in a freaking plane crash, which I didn't know in 1972. It must have been overloaded by like 4,000 pounds. Yeah, he was taking supplies to Ecuador, Nicaragua. One of, He was Nicaragua, I think, because they had just got nailed with an earthquake. Right. So that's what a good duty was. He was taking supplies down there to help Quite people Quite the humanitarian. You know, and that makes Roberto Clemente one tough son of a bitch. Are we watching anything? A little yes. slow on the uh, sound effects. Oh, we got a new board, by the way. Lord We're knows trying it was everything overdue. out. We, we, this high dollar project <laughs> is now On over budget. All right, Kat, <laughs> okay. what are we watching? I watched uh, Fight the Power, the, how hip hop changed the world. Um, hip rap is at its 50th anniversary. I had a special on PBS, uh, Chuck D, a public entity, you know, was your commentator. Other Fight the Power. And how its political awakening lasted 50 years. Um, Cultural commentators, he tracks the social consciousness roots in the history of hip-hop. You know, hip-hop, or rap as we call it now, it started in like um, the Bronx. It It was out on the street. People were jamming out on the playground. It was two speakers. You would get DJs that would... Just take it the juiciest part of a song and, you know, and play that part. And everybody would grab the beat and get off and be wonderful. Okay. So anyway, it was, it was a good show. Four-part series. Four-part series. On PBS. PBS. You um, can pull it up. And... On your PBS passport. All right. What's it called again? Fight the Power, How Hip Hop Changed the World. All right. Check it out. All right, we're going to do the cocktail of the week right now. Usually my favorite segment. And this week we're doing the 10 cup old fashioned. Oh, wow. We, we're getting really wild now. All right, the 10 <laughs> cup old fashioned. Of course, you know, a lot of distilleries come up with their own signature drink, right? So, 10 cup is a distillery in Colorado. I've never tried their bourbon. It's probably very good. Okay. I'm a little cur- curious about this drink. 
Tin Cup is from Tin Cup, Colorado, a mining town there in the western slope of Colorado. Named after the residents who should drink their whiskey and probably some water out of a little tin cup. There well, in they the, were mining from There the in the Rocky Mountains. Oh, wow. All right, tin cup, very easy. You got your highball glass filled with ice. Put in a shot of tin cup bourbon, or in my case, bullet bourbon. A splash of bitters and a half shot of simple syrup. So basically, it's an old-fashioned. They just swapped sweet vermouth for simple syrup. I give it a go. All right, just put those in your glass. Stir it with your finger. Actually, Kat made us one tonight. It doesn't have my old-fashioned look because it doesn't have that little tinty from the sweet vermouth. Let's Always go. the purest. Let's go. I never knock it till you try it. Oh, it is sweet. Hmm, not bad. It's not bad. And Kitty Cat's not a bourbon girl not by a, any not a means. Brown liquor gal. All right, give it a go. The tin cup, old fashioned. It's not a bad one. All right, this week we were bumpered in by the Connells. That's C O N N E L L S. Check them out. Formed in 1984 from Raleigh, North Carolina. These are the Connells I know. I know later on, I think George left and they mixed in some stuff, but it was. David and Mike Connell, which I believe are twin brothers. Doug McMillan singing, George Huntley, and I'm going to say Peel Wimberly. He was a drummer. I hope I'm saying that right, Peel. Now, here's how it went down. The year is like 1985. Like, what is that, like 38 years ago? Yes, Whoa. we are old people now. See, my brain cells are still here, okay? <laughs> Even though people want to say they're not. I can remember this shit. All right, so back in my day, they you'd put flyers up and down the telephone poles. If your band was going to play, that was your promotion, was put flyers right. all over the place. Get that automatic... Uh... Put your flyer on top of the other band's flyer. So... Now, the Connells were from North Carolina, so they must have sent their peeps down here right. to put, or maybe they had peeps here in Richmond put it out. So I looked at the flyer, and it said something about Mike Mills from REM or something. Somebody, it was some kind of REM connection or the jangly guitar, Rickenbacker guitars or something, whatever. So I didn't know who the Connells were, so me and my brother- Something we, sucked you in. We, we go, and it was at this club down near VCU. It was actually owned by Rastafarians. We used to go in there. It was called New Horizons. We went in there a hundred times. They always had great bands in there. We get in it. The place is like almost packed. So me and my brother, we stand off kind of on the side of the stage. And we see these four dudes up there, five dudes up there with, with crew cuts. Well, Peel didn't have a crew cut. He was a, he was bald and had little those round linen glasses on. Love those things. The other dudes... Button-down shirts, hair cut above the ear. And, and we're watching them set up their gear, and we're like, what is It looked like a frat Smells band. Smells like Duke University. It looked like the frat band over at University of Richmond. So, you know, don't judge a book by its cover, obviously. <laughs> so they get up there, and Peel, he grabs his sticks and goes, tch, 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 and them jokers took off. 
And me and my brother, our jaws hit the ground. I mean, we were like, it, it they play, they had one little album out that had like eight songs on it. There was a song called Seven on there. It's freaking great. All of the songs are great. These are, I'm just going to name these old songs because they've got so many good songs. But this was all they had out at the time. Uh, 1934, Much Easier, Darker Days. Holding pattern, hats off, and they're just nailing song after song after song. And me and my brother are like, "What? This is so fucking awesome! I can't believe it." I mean, it's like the music just it just glided across the room. Doug, very good singer. It it was so awesome. And at the time, me and my brother, we'd been playing in garage bands, you know, through high school, college, or whatever, and, and we were still covering you know, Skinner and ACDC and Judas Priest and Van Halen. And these cats are up there playing their own tunes. You needed a new influence. And they were so fucking good. We went home that night and took my brother's Yamaha drum kit, which was very nice, and my PV bass amp and guitar and took them in the backyard, dumped gas on them and set them on fire. Because we were so far behind. We were like, these dudes blew us away. But anyway, they, the Connells, they had a little heyday. They had a couple songs on 120 Minutes on MTV. They were, you know, college radio darlings. And just, just great melodic Rickenbackers, vocals, all of it great. Just check out the awesome music of the Connells wherever you get your music. We want to thank everybody for listening, and we will see you all down the road. See ya.